Welcome back to The Breakdown. We have such an awesome episode for you this month. In the final episode of our housing mini-series, we're discussing mortgages with our special guest, Jason Bell. Jason is a portfolio manager at Canso Investment Council, which is an investment firm located in Richmond Hill, Ontario, that specializes in corporate bonds. Jason is not a mortgage broker, but he has a view on the topic with a particular focus on mortgage research. Here's a little peek at some of the topics we discussed. What is the process for getting a mortgage? Once you have one, can you get out of it? And if so, are there any penalties? How does selling a house work when you have a mortgage? And finally, who should not apply for a mortgage? For answers to these questions, keep listening. And as always, if you have any feedback for us, we'd love to hear from you. Hit us up at podcast.finpipe.com. Enjoy the episode. Everybody. Today we're talking mortgages. I'm Sasha, your host. I'm Lucas. I'm Sarah. I'm Taylor. And I'm Jeff. Okay. <laughs> Let's, <laughs> jump, dude. Let's jump right into it. Yeah. So, uh, so Jason, what is the process for getting a mortgage? Okay. Well, thanks uh, for the question. I, first, I want to start off because um, by way of background, I'm not a mortgage broker. Uh, I'm a portfolio manager, Cancer Investment Council. Been there for, for eight years now. And uh, my kind of, you know, eye into the, the market comes from uh, my research on a company called Genworth MI Canada. So this is one of Canada's mortgage insurers, and we'll get into that in a little more detail later. That being said, I do have a view, and it's going to become apparent to listeners uh, who are listening to this, that I tend to think that the market is a little out of control in, uh, in the GTA right now. I think uh, we're in a little bit of a bubble. Uh, we at Canso, when we look at um, any market, as Howard Mark says, we like to take the temperature of the market at all times. And so right now, we think that things are a little overheated, right? We, there's lots of um, people borrowing lots of money to buy homes. Average house prices are way above what the average person would be able to should be able to afford in the city. Uh, and, you know, in general, that creates um, a situation where... This market, the mortgage market, is something you really need to be careful of when you when you go to borrow money for one of these homes. So just keep that in mind as I talk. I mean, I'll break, I'll go through the process, but the banks uh, that are out there to lend to you, they have certain you know benchmarks that they want to you know attain. They want to lend to as many people as possible to get, hit their bottom line. But you got to be careful when you go to get a mortgage to make sure that you're not being taken advantage of. Right. Right. So process. The first thing you want to do when you're getting a mortgage is you're going to want to contact a lender uh, or a mortgage broker uh, or do some of your own research. And so a mortgage broker is always a good uh, way to start because they uh, can go ahead and help find you the best rate and the best type of mortgage for what you're looking for. Uh, if you go directly to a lender, like a bank, right, they're going to tell you what's best for you only in the set, but only in the confines of what they offer. Right. So you're not going to be able right. to compare that bank's rate versus another bank because you're, you'll be entrapped within that situation. And the, what I would recommend to everyone who's about to potentially looking to get a mortgage is do some research. The way it works is you go in and you have to find out how much you can qualify for. Okay. And so in, in today's market, everyone's looking to try and get as much mortgage as they possibly can. That's not what I would recommend, but that's what people do today. And so you, the way you do this is you have to show the bank or the lender how much income you make. 
So you say I make a hundred thousand dollars a year. Let's say that's not what we make, but in you know if you make a hundred k, they're going to take a look at that. They want to prove that. So you provide some documents, and then depending on what the the interest rate environment is, they're going to work backwards and figure out okay, if someone makes a hundred thousand a year, what can we, what are we willing to lend to that person? And so the general principle they use is they say no person should be allowed to use more than thirty two percent. Their gross income for housing, heating, and taxes and, and property taxes. Okay. So, taking the example of a hundred thousand dollars, multiply that by thirty-two percent. You've got thirty-two thousand that you can use for those costs. And so, I just brought a little table here to just give a sense to everyone of what that works out to. You have a hundred thousand dollars that works out to thirty-two thousand allowable to be put towards housing. That's twenty-seven hundred a month. Assuming you pay taxes of three hundred dollars on that, you're left with twenty four hundred a month. Okay, so twenty four hundred a month at an interest rate of three and a half percent, which is about what you might find today for a five year mortgage, it affords you four hundred eighty thousand dollars for mortgage. So it is a lot, but yeah, but not in the city, not in Toronto. <laughs> exactly, and that's and that's and that's a, a huge thing, right? So the average house price in Toronto, somewhere around a million dollars, four hundred eighty thousand isn't going to get you very far. No. Um, and $100,000 is actually a reasonably, if you look at average household income in Toronto, I think it's just somewhere above 100000 It's reasonably high. You know, it's, a, it's, a decent, it's a decent number. Mm-hmm. So there is this disconnect that I've already talked about between housing price and mortgages. So that's kind of the process overall. The other thing that you're, you figure out how much you can afford. Now, the elements of the mortgage that actually get to that 480000 that I just gave to you, you have interest rate. You also have two other components called term and amortization. And so basically the concepts are the amortization period is the amount of time over which people are willing to lend to you and you have to pay them back over. So you have a tw- normally you hear about a 25-year mortgage. So what you're doing is you're paying back the mortgage over the, the course of 25 years. And so you combine the interest rate and the amortization period, and that determines the payment that you're going to make over time. So in this case that I use, I use 3.5% for 25 years just standard. But if you can get a lower interest rate and a longer amortization, your monthly payments actually drop significantly for the same amount of mortgage. Or if you look at it a different way, if you get a lender who's willing to lend to you at a lower interest rate and a longer amortization period, that same 480000 that I just quoted to you could, and I'll give you an example, if interest rate is 2% and you get a 35-year amortization, 480000 turns into $730,000 to okay. lend to you. That's okay. a little more realistic. For the exact same payment amount. So 2400 bucks, right? Just it now affords you 730K yeah. versus 482K. So that's kind of how it works. And now most people think, oh, I'm going to go shop around. I'm going to try and find the lowest possible interest rate and the longest possible amortization. Because whoever's willing to do it to me, that allow me to afford biggest price. But is that always the best idea? No. So you see, in my view, it's a terrible idea. Okay. okay? And this is what <laughs> everyone gets wrong. Because in this market, everyone thinks that I just have to buy, have to buy, have to buy. Like you have know, to get in the market. Have yeah. to get in the market. Yeah. So like, you I know, all of our time. parents, we're millennials, all of our parents have had the best possible experience with housing. Okay. Oh, yeah. Housing over the last, well, let's start with interest rates. When our parents were borrowing to buy homes, their interest rates were close to 10%, maybe even higher, 14% in some cases. We think that's unfathomable, right? And what's happened is for the last 20 years, interest rates have gone from 13, 14% 
dropped all the way to 2%. And so when I just gave you this example here, you can see what happens. As the interest rate drops, even if the payment stays the same, the amount that they're willing to lend on increases significantly. Right. So our parents say, buy a house. It's the best financial decision we've ever made, right? Because housing prices are up like three, four, five, six times since we bought them. It's been amazing. Mm-hmm. For them. For them. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's out. It's my strong view and the view of like, you know, the firm I work for, that's not going to necessarily be the same for us. And if you look at generic metrics about how levered we are, you know, if there was a slight increase in interest rates, which we've seen some signs of that, even though recently, you know, it's been pretty volatile, like interest rates did go up and in general, mortgage rates are up from where they were a couple of years ago. Right now, some underlying rates have gone down, even though mortgage rates haven't, haven't been affected. The point being that if rates rise, you have the exact opposite phenomenon. So you had what we believe is like a bubble, a credit bubble, mm-hmm. right? Where people are lending more and more money as interest rates drop, you're able to afford more and more house. And if that reverses, the exact opposite should take place. And so if you borrow as much money as you can, there are a lot of risks associated with that. Right. One of them, which I forgot to mention, it's important to note, is that the Canadian market is, is kind of unique if you compare it to the United States in one way. See, in the United States, you get a 25-year mortgage. That mortgage, that payment, effectively, if you get a fixed term, fixed mortgage, we'll get into fixed and variable after. A fixed mortgage, you pay that same payment for the next 25 years. And I kind of explained the concept to you that way. In Canada, it's actually a little bit different. In Canada, you get, there's this, they they, they, they differentiate between amortization and term. So you have a 25-year amortization, but in Canada, they don't allow a 25-year term, which means normally the biggest term you'll get is five years. Someplace you get 10. So your rate changes. Exactly. Oh. So basically, if you get a mortgage here, you lock in a five-year fixed after five years, you then have you're you're open to whatever the interest rate is at that time, and you right. can't necessarily like pick up, and which is like, which is oh, potentially very risky. Yeah, which is yeah, it's a huge risk. I mean, you look at the what happened to the United States during their financial the real estate crash. Effectively, you had you know mortgages that are definitely crazier than what you see right now in Canada, but you have mortgages where people they call them ninja loans, no income no job, no assets, and they were lending to people. And they were effectively saying, hey, you don't have to pay anything for the first two years. And then on year two, you start paying. So think about it's a it's a complete shock to someone who has zero payment and then has to pay money. Right. But in Canada, if you think about it, we effectively are saying, okay, you're working at this job right now, making 100K in the example we'll keep using. If in five years from now, that 100K supports X, let's say, supports a, uh, you know, a payment of X. But in five years from now, your job, maybe you, you, know, you have the same job 100K, but interest rates are double which they could be. I mean, that's people would argue that interest rates are never going to go higher, but you know, things can happen. Well, then all of a sudden that income doesn't qualify against against this new interest rate regime. Okay? And so a bank has the absolute right to say to you, yeah, yeah, you owe us all the money back right now after those five years. They can do that. That's so scary. And then what if you can't <laughs> afford that? Yeah, what if you don't have the money? Yeah, so if you if you don't have the money, you're, you're, kind, of, you're kind of screwed. I mean, in the... <laughs> So what happens is you can sell the house. Well, the, so, sorry. If, if you don't have the money, the right. bank calls it, the first thing, you, you have some time right. to pay them. But the most like the thing you do is you, you sell the house and the proceeds you take to hopefully pay off the mortgage. The, sorry, the other thing you do is go and find another lender. Um, so right. you go and get another mortgage. You refinance. That's actually the most common. So, sorry. That's the doomsday scenario I gave you to start. So now you okay. the, the right so scenario. So there is another option. <laughs> yeah, sorry. The other option. Another financier almost. Yeah. Okay. So the correct option would be if a bank says to you, you know what? 
based on your income right now at the renewal period, we're not comfortable taking you on for an additional 20 years, which can happen, then what you would likely do is you'd go try and find another lender to say, hey, you know what? I need to refinance this. It doesn't mean you have two mortgages. What actually would happen is you go to another lender, and let's say this other lender looked at you and said, you know what? I'm, I'm still willing to lend to you, but I'm going to lend to you at a slightly higher interest rate. That could happen. You take that money. Let's say you had a mortgage of 500000 You've had it for five years. You've probably paid down, I would guess, like uh, maybe 50000 of that. So you have 450000 left, which you owe to the other guy. You would borrow 450000 That's a re- as a refinance. And you, that effect, all that money would go and pay off the original lender. Okay. And now you owe this new refinance mortgage to the new lender. That's how it would work. That is the. So you don't owe double, like that's. No, you would owe double. Okay. You, that that money effectively, because that's your cash. You take, you borrow the money, you take the cash, mm-hmm. do what you want with it. At this point, you're paying off. You know, you're paying off one lender. Right. And now this new lender, he his loan is secured. He registers against your your property, the title, so that now you. it's now it's a mortgage you're paying to this new new lender. Now that's the most common way of dealing with uh, a situation like that. But keep in mind that this only works if housing prices stay stable or go up. Right. And I'm assuming people try to refinance more than once. Like that could happen. I imagine that's like a very slippery, scary slope. Yeah, refinancing is an interesting thing, and it's being used. Uh, like the situation I'm presenting right now is very doomsday because you don't really see that in Canada. I mean, I'm like playing out, you know, the worst case scenario here. Renewals. We're talking about renewals right now. So there's a okay. you have to differentiate between the concept of um, a mortgage renewal and a refinance. A renewal just means you have a 25-year mortgage, amortization, five-year term. At the end of the five-year term, you're let the lender, you just go to them and they say, okay, everything's okay, and you just continue on. And now you have a new five-year term, but effectively the payment stays, well, the payment won't be exactly the same because depending, it'll just, the interest rate will adjust, but that's it. But minimally. It, well, it depends. Maybe. It all depends <laughs> on what the interest rate, like if interest rate were 2% when you started and now the bank's you know rate is 4%, you can negotiate with them and try and get it down lower. That's something you can do, but you're open to whatever the interest rate environment is. That being said, you just continue on making the same kind of amorti- the same amortization. In other words, if you can, if you renew your loan and you renewed, you know, five, every five years for the next 25 years, or renew each time, you'd be completely paid off after okay. 25 years. Refinance is any time you change the terms, other than the amortization, the, the inter- kind of the interest rate. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's interest rate also amortization. So another form of refinance could be after five years, you just, you know, interest rates fall. Okay. And this is what's been happening. So I'm going to give you what's been actually happening over the last, you know, 20 years here is that interest rates keep falling. When interest rates fall, people, instead of a lot of people say, hey, you know, I wanted to have a new kitchen. I want to, you know, I want to, I want to renovate, you know, get some new stuff for my house. Even some people are kind of dumb enough to say, I want to go on a few extra vacations. So what they do is they use the equity in their in their home and they effectively refinance the mortgage and they term it out and they get a lower payment. So you go, okay, I had a mortgage of 500000 I've paid off fifty. Oh, but my house that I bought for 500000 is now worth a million because that's what's been happening. Now I'm, I'm going to refinance the home. So I'm going to increase the mortgage size to, let's say... $700,000 because I have more, the home price has gone up. Mm-hmm. Now I collect 200000 in cash. Well, right? This seems like a terrible idea. I mean, well, tell me if I'm wrong, but this yeah. seems like a little <laughs> I mean, bit like a counting your eggs before they had. Unless it goes up situation. and then you sell 3 million. 
So in terms of the race themselves, like, is there any way to, like, take a look at things and be like, you know what, I think these are going to, like, start skyrocketing in the next couple of years, or is it more or less a big gamble? So that's a good question. Um, <laughs> you can't predict the market, though, right? Really? Can you? I don't know. This yeah, so, I mean, this is, this is I mean, <laughs> look, we're this is the business that uh, we're in at Can. So, I mean, it's not predicting interest rates, but right. again, it's, you know, it's kind of trying to get a sense, as Howard Mark says, taking the temperature of the market, trying to get a sense of where, what, what, what the likely outcomes or scenarios would be. And I can't, so I think we're generally hard pressed to see a path. I say, and I say this generally because we have disagreements internally where interest rates kind of go lower from here. I mean, it just doesn't make, it doesn't make sense when you normally interest rates, they have some relationship to what's called inflation. Mm -hmm. So inflation, they know people measure it, how much prices are changing year over year. And, And normally you have the central banks they look at this as a measure for whether or not interest rates should be higher or lower. Well, for, for a few years now, interest rates, have, uh, inflation has been sitting around like 2%. I mean, I'm, I'd have to see the exact, it's around 2%. And yet interest rates are at extremely low levels. So we think that in general, rates should go higher. Um, and so if you're borrowing money today, you know, my, my, if, I was a bet, if I would make a bet, I'd probably bet that the next time you refinance in five years, it would, it would be higher. I mean, that's barring another economic crisis where central banks decide they want to cut rates again. Um, but we're already pretty low. There's not much room left. So unfortunately, in Canada, you really don't have a way to... There's no real good way of knowing if rates will be higher or lower, but you have to keep keep that in mind when you're, when you're borrowing money. Now, there's one point I want to add to this because it's important. Um, recently, the Canadian government came out with a bunch of new regulations, and I should have touched on this earlier. So when you're getting a mortgage today, it's not just as simple as um, borrowing money at the interest rate that the banks or the lender can provide to you. They made a new rule recently that said, if you come into a lender, a federally regulated lender, and you want to borrow money, you have to actually borrow money. You have to qualify at an interest rate that's effectively 2% higher than the rate that they're willing to offer you. So what does that mean? You've already ta- I've already shown you that what, mm-hmm. what could happen. So what they're effectively saying is, look, and they're doing it for I, what I think is a very pr- this is a prudent measure. Because what they're saying to people is, listen, interest rates we know are historically low. When you go to borrow money, we're going to stress test your income against an increase in the interest rate environment. Effectively saying over the next five years, if rates do up 2% and your salary stays the same, you're still going to be able to afford, uh, afford the payments. So they're already kind of doing that for you. This, my point that I'm making is that you, like, you should be thinking about it, but at the same time, you're going to be qualifying based on this kind of stress test. And so the example I gave where you can afford 480000 or 100000 income, I kind of lied because with the stress test... They increase it. It actually, you can only make get 400000 yeah. right now. So that stress test has had a huge impact on you know, the amount of um, transactions that are taking place right now in the but market. that would, like, make it also easier, like, not easier, but, like, a safer way to get into the market. But it shows, but it, it yes, says, like, yes. it says to certain people, like, oh, I can't afford to do this, right? That's right. So it, you are exactly right. What the argument that lenders make today is, hey, look, our credit quality is getting better. You look at like you look at um, a company like Jamworth uh, MI Canada's company I've followed for a long time. They talk about how the the quality of the people they're lending to is going up because of these new regulations. But the other side, and the way I think is the more correct way of thinking about this, is everything that has to do with lending in Canada is kind of it's it's a one big giant subsidized uh, machine. Okay, in Canada we have this concept of mortgage insurance. 
again, we haven't touched on it, kind of touched on it, but when you put less than 20% down on a mortgage in Canada, you are forced to purchase mortgage insurance. Okay, what is mortgage insurance? You'd be surprised to find out that it doesn't help you in kind of, it doesn't really help you in any way, shape, or form. Who does it protect? It protects the lender, the bank. So the big bank, RBC, wants to lend you five hundred thousand. You can't come up with twenty percent. You then have to pay a fee that in the event that you don't pay the bank their monthly mortgage payment, the government steps in and gives RBC all their money back. Hmm. But by the way, the government still gets to come after you for any mispayment that you had. Oh boy. Okay, now this is a law of the land in Canada. And so it already distorts the market. If you think about it for, and I'll, I'll you know, just give you a crazy point on that. If you go to a bank and you give them 20% down cash, you get, you're, they're going to charge you a higher interest rate than if you put less than 20% down in Canada. Because they know you have more money? Or no, because they can make more? Because they know that if you put more than 20% down, you don't have to pay for insurance. Therefore, if you do default, they're on the hook. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you put less money down, government's on the hook. Effective, there's one. The Genworth is another company that does this. So it's Genworth and the government. Effectively, still the government through some other backing. Okay. But so it's completely distorted. And so the point I'll go back to, I'll make now, is that when you they say, oh, it's a higher credit quality now. People are being stress tested at a higher interest rate. The way I look at it is, wait a second. You've subsidized the market from the beginning, and you've created this bubble, this this you know this credit bubble. If you think about it. Um, the banks are incentivized to lend to people at any cost because there's no risk to them. So they want to lend as much as possible. They want to lend to you five hundred thousand. If the price goes up by six hundred thousand, to you know, if the price goes up to six hundred k the next year, and you want to buy the house, they want to lend you six hundred thousand. And then if it goes up to eight hundred k, they want to lend me the eight hundred eight hundred thousand, right? And this cycle goes over and over and over because the more they lend, the more money they make, and it's completely risk free. So imagine, see the setup here. Yeah. yeah, you see the setup. It's scary, man. Okay, so the setup is the setup is you have banks, you have lenders saying, "I'm going to lend. I have no risk. I'm going to make money no matter what." You have people thinking that, "Oh my God, my only way to like be financially independent and successful is to buy a home and to get a mortgage." And then you know, anytime you go for dinner anywhere in Toronto, everyone's everyone's talking about like real estate. What do you own? What do you own? Right? Mm-hmm. Okay, you have this perfect setup for you know. That's why we think that. The temperature is super hot right now in the market. It's just, it's, it's out of control. And so now they say, oh, we're tightening up regulations. But in reality, all they're doing is they're reducing that credit availability. You see? And now when you turn, you turn the screws on that, you're starting to see cracks. Now in Vancouver, you see significant cracks already in the high end, right? And it's, it's very specific, right? Think about mortgage insurance. Sorry. And one thing that I also didn't get at, I know, speak about this stuff, I'm forgetting the audience but you can't do it above a million dollars you're not allowed to insure anything above a million dollars so in the market above a million all of a sudden prices are down in vancouver you're seeing like price drops of 30 40 percent in where i live i live in in the suburbs uh like bathurst you know major mac area a little north house prices in that area are down around 15 to 20 percent i mean you don't hear that in toronto but so the cracks are already occurring in the places where the subsidies have kind of been removed so they so again that whole claim like yeah higher quality borrower well sure but you should have been that prudent in the first place and now you're going back to some normalcy but when you get there if you don't keep increasing that credit that you've been doing for a long time you're left with I think you know a mess which is just going to kind of it's be a self fulfilling problem so does this <clears throat> does this stress test um, not kind of inflate the market even more because now we have 
like there's people who can't necessarily qualify for that stress test, so they're going to move out of the city. We're going to just have more people can afford that. I mean, that's definitely an interest way, interesting way of looking at it because you're right. People are so obsessed with home ownership that they'll do anything to find a way to buy a house. Um, so you have now the stress test, like, well, what do we do now, right? Uh, like uh, all of a sudden I've got, I've got less ability to qualify for, for a mortgage. Where do I go? So they go, oh, well, housing prices aren't as high in the, in the suburbs. Oh, now they're a million dollars. Okay, keep going. Now I'm off to like, you know, I'm in Collingwood now, or now I'm living, you know, in Thunder Bay. Like you just, you know, it's just, it's <laughs> just, keeps, it just keeps, it just keeps spreading. Right. So yeah. I, yeah, I think. But I think the main thing is that I think people, if they ever see housing prices change direction, uh, then and the conversation starts to shift, then I think you could have, you'll have a completely different reaction. Which is, and already you're seeing a little bit where buyers are kind of relaxing a little bit. Your transactions are at like I don't know, it's like a twenty or thirty year low right now, sales and uh, for um, detached. Like I think condos are still doing reasonably well, but detached home sales transactions are down down a lot. So anyway, I know we're talking a lot about real estate, not necessarily mortgages, um, but you can see like when it comes to getting a mortgage, just remember, right, what the incentive system is. Um, and, and you got to think about, think about yourself. Like, and the other thing is don't, don't think that buying a home is necessarily better than renting. I mean, I would argue that in many cases right now, renting is better financial uh, move for now, just given how hot things are, where housing prices are. I mean, I, I'll give the, you know, my own example of like, renting a house where I am, the, the monthly rent that I pay is four times less. It's one. It's 25% of what I would pay with a 20% down payment on the house that, I, that I'm renting. Damn. Okay. Yeah. So what is, how does that make sense? What should I pay? Should I pay four times the amount to buy the house I'm in or should I just rent it and take that extra cash and, and put it away and invest it and wait? That, to me, this is obvious. And so, you know, Go to a bank. They're going to tell you this is how much you can afford. You can run around. You can you can go to a mortgage broker if you really want to buy a house and you think you're going to do it. There are many ways to to get that mortgage amount as high as possible. And so if you want to do that, that's your goal. By all means, go to a mortgage broker. You know, you find a good one, and uh, they've got you know 60 lenders out there that are available, and they'll find the best possible uh, rate for you and get you the biggest possible mortgage. And just be careful. Like you know, a lot of one thing that. A lot of people got in trouble for recently is some some guys really want to stretch it and they literally falsify people's income uh, to make them look like they've got a little extra income. That's being, you know, some people even have have had mortgage brokers falsify their income without their own knowledge. It's like the, so, the buyer, mm-hmm. the person borrowing the money wasn't even because mortgage brokers. If you have one that you can trust, great, they're regulated. But at the same time, they make their money by landing the mortgage and they get a, they get a cut, they get a commission. So. Some of them, you know, they're incentivized. They can do the wrong thing. I have a weird maybe mortgage question. Do you have to spend a mortgage on a house? Or can you just, like, go eat food with it? Uh, that's... <laughs> Are you thinking of doing that? Like, like a mortgage for KFC, please? Yes. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that is that's a good question. So, okay. And here here's where my, you know me not being a mortgage broker. I'm going to, I'm going to try and walk myself through this. So you borrow money. Let's say it's your first, you're buying it, you know, your first home. You borrow money. Um, you're making those monthly payments. I mean, look, you technically, there's a way to use that money for, for cat food or whatever, <laughs> whatever you want to like. So, uh, but normally you have to have a down payment. So let's say you're buying a house. We'll use numbers again. You're buying a house for a million dollars. 
come up with a hundred grand, you fill the shortfall with nine hundred, you get a nine hundred thousand mortgage. Well, the person selling you the house needs the hundred, they need the nine hundred, it's all gone. Cash is all gone. Now, where people do tend to be able to use the money is on a refinance, and that's what's been so people talk about the Canadian market, it's like homes have been people's credit cards for a long time. As the housing market goes up in price, now all of a sudden, lenders are willing to lend you money against the equity in your home, the increase. And that's where you can actually get, you know, effectively cash because you, your house was a million, it's now 1.5 million, you paid something down, you borrow extra, you can refinance a mortgage, a higher amount. And now that money that you take in this time, there's a portion of it that didn't go to pay off the previous mortgage. It's just in, up, above it. And so now you have a monthly payment against that. You're still paying that back, but you'll have cash sitting in your bank account that you can use freely. So there's a way That's to it. do it. <laughs> and versus a crippling Dairy Queen yeah. addiction. Like don't don't get uh, don't, the don't get these don't get these uh, bad thoughts in your head though. <laughs> yeah. Um, how difficult is it to um buy? So you buy a house and you have a mortgage with that. What if you want to sell that house? What happens with your mortgage? Okay, so yeah, if you. So how it works is actually um, when you get a mortgage, believe it or not, you can't just pay off that mortgage without penalty. So in the U.S., it's fairly standard to allow for this. So if you have a, U.S. seems to have a better kind of overall mortgage uh, availability for people. Um, so in the U.S., you get a 25-year mortgage, you have payments. If at any time you want to pay off the mortgage, you can do that basically at any time. That's the standard setup. In Canada, uh, when you get a mortgage... They don't allow you normally to pay more than 15% of the total mortgage amount per year without penalty. The rest of it, it's all penalized. Why? Yeah, so the way to think about it is, it's, I mean, it's a contract. So a mortgage can be negotiated. That's another key thing to understand. Like, it's not just a standard. You walk at the bank and just take what they Today's take what mortgage they interest rate <laughs> yeah. is X. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a negotiated contract, okay? So these are there's all types of terms that you can negotiate on. And, I mean, this is one of them. Uh, but generally, they like to stick to their standard standard language for interest rate penalties. So here's the reason why. Think about it. If you're a bank, you're lending to me. They what they what a bank does is bank bank borrows money and then lends money. That's their business. They borrow money at let's say two uh, percent and they lend money at three percent and they make the one percent spread. You know, and so if all of a sudden and some they'll borrow money over certain terms. Let's say they borrow a five year money like they borrow money for five years from someone. Just giving an example here. And they borrow at two percent, and then they lend it to you at three percent for five-year mortgage. But then you pay off the mortgage in one year. Oh, they've only earned the spread for one year, and now they're losing money for the oh, next so four it, years. So if you paid it off early, you wouldn't still have to pay the interest that would have accumulated over the term. So that's so. So this is ex- exactly that's right. If you would pay, if you if they would give you the ability to pay off the mortgage early, which is what they do in the U.S., you're you're foregoing all of the future interest. No. Maybe a stupid question. Could you, like, if you really needed to get a mortgage, could you just pay for it and negotiate how much interest? Be like, look, like, it was 2.5%. Like, can I give you 2 and let yeah. me go kind of thing? Yeah, so the way it works is there. There's a they have an actual calculated way of doing that. Okay. And it's, you know, it's you pay this, what's called the interest rate differential, and that's what they do. They effectively make you pay. I, I think there's, I mean, I, I've dealt with this in the past, but they basically look at how much time is left, term is left in the mortgage, say it's two years left. And they look at the difference between what the interest rate is that you had versus what they could make you the rate is now. 
And they basically do, you know, they take that, they multiply it by the total noun, and they create like a penalty, which could amount to a lot. A lot of people like aren't aware of that. So when you, and that's how it works in Canada, and you can't really, there's no real way of negotiating your way out of that. I think you, there is some room to try and pay, um, but in general, there's a penalty you have to pay. So even when you sell your house, if you're selling your house before the end of a mortgage term, you have to pay whatever the, the penalty is. There's some cases where there is no penalty, where if the interest rates move like in your favor, but lately there's been... Uh, there's been penalty interest. The other thing people do is a lot of times people are selling a house, they're buying a new house. Mm-hmm. So one way to sneak out of it is, well, not sneak out, it's legitimate way is you can, if you're getting a new mortgage, there's some forgiveness. Sometimes. Right, because they're just yeah. going to be lending yeah. you the money. Yeah, and even and, and even yeah. sometimes if you're going to another bank or another lender, they might actually just pay the penalty for you. Right. Because they want your business. Yeah. Like, in, yeah. 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 So there is a way, there are ways to get around it, but... Now, uh, and uh, I, this is just a general interest question, but is is the reason why in the states you can have a twenty five year term is that, and you, or I guess more accurately, my question is the reason you can't get those long terms in Canada is that like protect the banks? Like, what? Why is that really the is that the main reason why that you can't do that in Canada? Yeah, this that's a good question, um, and I, you know I feel like I there's there's someone at Canada who could answer this better than I could. But I think the answer is uh, that when we talk, when we talk in finance, called the funding market. So basically, any so again, a bank borrows money and lends money. But there's there's all what you don't want is you don't want a complete mismatch between the term of the stuff you're borrowing and the term of the stuff that you're lending. You see, because what can happen is if you if I if I lend you money for 25 years, you're paying me back. But then and and in order to do that, I don't have money on me. The only way I can do is I have to borrow money from someone else. Let's say I borrow money for only one year at 2% interest rate and I lend you 25 years at 3%. Oh, great. I'm making a percent. After a year, I got to pay this guy back. Right. You haven't paid me back yet. Right. So I got to pay him back. Well, then I, that means I got to go back out into the market again after a year and I have to f- see what the interest rate is then. Well, what if the interest rate now for the next one year is 4%? Mm. I've locked you in for 3%. Mm. Well, now I'm losing money. Now that this is, you know, so there, there's a... That's a conundrum that I think the Canadian market has where the sources of long-term funding aren't as aren't the same as the US. I think there's just better, it's just a deeper funding market okay, okay. to fund, to be able to fund that type of stuff. That's my guess. Not 100% sure. I think that's awesome. I think we've learned, I've learned a lot. Um, yeah, that was great. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like absorbing it, taking it all in. It was a quieter episode. We let Jason do the, the grunt of the talking, but... Um, Thank you so much. Um, and uh, yeah. Thanks, Jason. Thank you, guys. Yeah.